You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Thank you, Brother Chad. If you would stand, turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12. I want to thank Pastor again for the opportunity to preach. And I definitely do not take that lightly. 2 Corinthians 12. Hopefully I give a good first punch, like Brother Chad says, and if I don't, definitely Brother Abishua is going to give the next second punch and finish us off well. 2 Corinthians 12. And we're going to go verse 7, and then we'll go down just to verse 10. 2 Corinthians 12. Verse 7 says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, this is Jesus speaking, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You may be seated. You know, when writing uh, for your resume or preparing for an interview, um, you want to emphasize um, all your strengths and tell, people, and tell the people that you're interviewing um, all the positive things about you. And uh, even though it might be true, you don't want to discuss all the negative, negative things about you. You don't want to go into a job interview and say, you know, I think I would go do well in this job um, because I procrastinate and all the time and I'm never on time and I would, I would want you guys to accept me because I, I'm, I'm good at procrastinating. Or you wouldn't say, you know, you would find me um, while I'm supposed to be working, I'm watching YouTube all the time. Right? Um, this would re- be pretty ridiculous. And you want to show people, you know, that you're competent, competent, competent enough to do the work. Um, you say, you say things, you know, I have skill sets for these amount of things. I can speak this amount of languages. Um, I have multiple years of experience um, in this field. And, you know, oftentimes we don't like talking about our weaknesses um, because we want people to think highly of us. And we usually try to hide Um, Try our best to hide our weaknesses and our shortcomings. You know, if being weak and, you know, showing weakness in this world is um, so looked down upon, you know, why why does uh, Paul say to be thankful for our weaknesses? You know, how was Paul able to find strength um, in his weaknesses? You know, chapter 12 is a continuation um, of the previous two chapters uh, where Paul is defending himself of the charges brought against him in Corinth, mainly Um, of his authority as an apostle. And in verse 1, we see that Paul explains, you know, that he felt uh, that it was necessary for him to boast, to convince, you know, the the immature Corinthians um, that he was an apostle, but that boasting would not be profitable for any other reason, just to prove that he was an apostle. And Paul makes it clear that he could boast about having heard, um, you know, the sounds of heaven, what we see first, uh, verse 1 to 6, the sounds of heaven, how he was caught up, how he experienced um, 
and got a preview of what the rapture looked like. But he says, if I were to boast about anything, I would boast about my infirmities in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I, you, know, you know, I have a lot to glory in, um, but I choose not to because it's not about me, and it's all about Jesus Christ. Um, we see Paul's humility in verse 6 because he says, you know, if I gloried in these things, I would glory in myself. And in doing so, um, I would have men exalt me. And that wasn't Paul's goal. Uh, he says, I don't want to be under the praise of men. I don't want them to think uh, me of, as above them. And this is the same idea as when John says, uh, you know, he must increase and I must decrease. And then this takes us to our passage in verse 7. And Paul wants us to understand uh, the pain that he had. Notice in verse 7, he says, lest I should be exalted. Uh, that phrase simply means in order for me not to be proud, or in, order for, um, in order to prevent me from being self-confident. You know, Paul knew his tendencies. And let me ask you tonight, do you know your tendencies? Do you know what you're capable of? And by tendencies, um, I mean, how well do you know the pride inside of you? How, know, how well do you know your ego? And Paul says later on, lest I should be exalted above measure. And he's saying, you know, God knows I have a, pr a pride problem. And tonight, you know, God knows you have a pride problem. God knows that I have a pride problem. And because of this pride problem, because of Paul's pride problem, God gave him what we see is a thorn in the flesh. And you know, when we usually hear the word thorn, um, when I heard the word thorn, I thought, you know, a rose, a rose bush. But however, the word thorn in this passage is the Greek word scallops, which literally means wooden stake. And this is a wooden stake. I'm pretty sure a lot of you have seen this wooden stake, and this is not exactly what I expected. And it has the idea of uh, the impalements that the Romans and Assyrians uh, gave to their enemies. Um, and, you know, this thorn, um, the stake, was a literal, real, physical pain. It was something not that, that, that was just bothersome to Paul that I thought it was, but it was something that gave him literal and physical pain. Um, it was sharp. It was unbearable. Uh, and it was something that Paul had to deal with 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It was something that bothered him every day of his life. And he felt it when he preached. He felt it uh, when he taught. He felt it when he was training leaders. He felt this uh, in his side when uh, he was walking from place to place. He felt this when he prayed. He felt this when he slept. And, you know, there were many conjectures on what this thorn in the flesh could be. Some say uh, it was a sickness. Some say it was a pain. Some say, you know, Paul might have had a sight impairment or an ear ache. You know, but it doesn't really matter uh, what, what it was. All we know that the description that Paul gives us, it was a wooden stake that was thrust into him that caused him an immense amount of pain. Verse 7, he goes on and saying, The messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. The word buffet means to strike with clenched hands. And it's the idea of someone taking their fist, clenched fist, punching you across the face or into the body. I went to Manny's boxing match a couple uh, of weeks ago, and it was the first time I've ever been to something like that. And something that I found interesting is that when we're talking to Brother Juan, me and Abishua, he says, most people think when you're going for the knockout that you go for the head. And that's what I thought, you go for the head, but... What Brother Juan said is, you actually go for the abdomen. You go for around the abdomen area, for the gut area. And if you want to 
be an effective knockout. And that's exactly what happened in one of the matches. One of the guys came and took a punch towards someone's abdomen, and he went straight down. And this is exactly how Paul described his pain. He says that it was like a punch by the, to the body, to the face by the messenger um, of Satan. It was like a demonic beating was constantly punching and pummeling, um, pummeling him. And through it all, you know, Paul says, lest I should be exalted above measure. And notice this, this phrase, lest I should be exalted above measure, starts with verse 7 and also ends in verse 7. And Paul's just wanting us to know that Paul, that God put this in his life so that he wouldn't be prideful. You know, sometimes God has to put pain into our lives. Sometimes he has to put a discomfort in an uncomfortable situation in our lives uh, so that we are not exalted above measure, so that we don't think ourselves to be higher. And sometimes God has to put these things uh, into our lives to keep us in check as a preventative uh, measure so that we don't think, you know, when we don't think we did it when God really did it, or we deserve glory when God really deserves the glory. And I'm glad God does, uh, Paul doesn't end it at verse 7. And God didn't send this trial because, because he hated Paul, it's because he loved Paul. He didn't send this thorn to hurt him, but he sent it to help him. And notice Paul's prayer in verse 8. You know, Paul went to prayer for his problem. And like Paul, when there's problems, when we have problems, we need to pray. And it says in verse 8 that Paul prayed three times. Paul prayed once, and he got no answer. Paul prayed again, and he still didn't get an answer. Then Paul prayed three times, and God answered. And before we move on, we need to understand something that, you know, if we're not careful and we're, we're looking at this passage and we're studying it out, uh, some will say that three is a magic number. Three is a magic formula uh, to prayer um, or a secret formula. And, you know, if we pray three times, then God will answer. And, you know, if we pray three times and God doesn't answer, then we should stop praying. But, you know, it's not a formula. This is just Paul's experience, and we have our own experiences. And, you know, I encourage you to keep on praying until God answers. You know, notice God's response uh, in verse 9. He says... My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, notice that call that God didn't answer Paul's prayer, and he didn't remove the thorn in the flesh. And, you know, we need to re be reminded sometimes, you know, God's way of answer answering things uh, will not always be in accord with the way that we want to, because, you know, God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. And when God doesn't answer our prayers, we often mistake God's delays as God's denials. Sometimes God is teaching us to have patience through our trials. Uh, then we see that Paul gives, you know, Paul, then God gives Paul this promise that also helps us answer, you know, how was Paul able to find his strength in his weakness? And he says, my grace is sufficient for thee. God says, during this trial, this, this thorn in the flesh that you have, I'm going to give you something better than relief. I'm going to give you something uh, better than taking it away. I'm going to give you something than giving you a pain-free life. Uh, he says, I'm going to give you grace, which is perfect, which is powerful, which is sufficient enough for you. God says, my grace, my love, my endurance, my patience, my enablement, you know, is all that you need. It doesn't end there. And notice after the colon here, God says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God is attracted more to our weaknesses than he is to our strength. And that, that sounds very opposite to what we usually think. 
You know, you usually think that we need to be strong to be approved by other people, but it is our weaknesses where God desires to meet us. And it is only through our weakness that God's strength is made perfect. And without weakness, we cannot have God's strength. Paul then says, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, I count it a privilege to go through this trial, to endure this pain, if it means that he gets to experience the power of God in his life. And the phrase may, may rest is the idea of pitching a tent. I don't know if you've ever gone tenting, uh, camping or not, but when, when you pitch a tent, you have the intention of settling down, right? You have the intention of staying, of remaining uh, in that place. And Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit of God pitches his tent in the lives of those who choose to be thankful for their weaknesses and their trials. And we see in verse 10, it says, he says, Therefore, because of this, because I'm deciding to trust in God's grace, I take pleasures in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sakes. Uh, for when I am weak, then I'm, I'm strong. And Paul says he play, takes pleasure in these things. And he's talking about all the scourgings he took, all the beatings, all the stonings, all the imprisonments, all the starvings, all the pushbacks, all the rejection that he faced, uh, all the losses that he faces. And he said, Paul says, you know, I've learned uh, that unless I'm weak, I cannot be made strong. Unless there's weakness in my life, and unless I'm at that place, I will not realize the power of Christ. And Paul found strength in his weaknesses by trusting in God's grace. And tonight, when, you know, whatever trial that you, you're going through tonight, whatever weaknesses that you have, God has the power to get you through if you trust in his grace. And, you know, you know we have church members here that uh, are here and are in some painful situations, some unbearable pain that, you know, don't know, they don't know when it's going to stop. And maybe you're here and you're, you're enduring some uh, painful situations. And I want to say to those who are going through those trials, God loves you and provides a solution for you. And God's grace uh, is enough for you to get through your health trials. And I'm thankful for all the technology and all the advancements in medicine but we need, to come to, we need to come to a point, we need to come to a realization that trusting in God's grace, God's power is enough, more than our trust in doctors and in medicine. Maybe you're here today and you don't know, and you know that you need to be a better soul winner. I, need, I know I need to be a better soul winner. Um, but, or you need to even start going soul winning. Uh, but you're afraid of rejection, or your excuse is I'm not a public speaker, or I'm too afraid to talk to strangers. Um, you know, it's good that we've realized that we have weaknesses in that area, but we need to trust in God's grace. We need to trust in God's power, his enablement, uh, to help us sow in despite our weaknesses. And God might not take away that fear of talking to strangers and talking to people in public, uh, but he'll give you the strength to overcome it. And remember that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips those who are called. And, you know, I, it might be a shock, but... Uh, going years of door knocking and soul winning every week myself, I still get nervous in front of the door. And, you know, I have to God, ask God for boldness and grace every single time approaching the door. And that's something I need. Even tonight, you know, uh, it's scary to get in front of people, to talk and to preach, and especially to preach God's word. And, you know, coming up to this night and every time we come to preach, I know I, I definitely do not feel adequate enough uh, to preach and I have to beg God all the time to help me to come preach his word and preach it correctly. 
Maybe today um, you're struggling to make that next payment, struggling to pay the bills. Uh, you're working as hard as you can to make money, but forget that God wants you to stop trusting in yourself and realize that you're weak to watch him to provide for you. And lastly, you know, all of us, we mentioned it before, we all have a pride problem. And maybe today God's not using you because you're too prideful. Maybe you're too strong. You know, serving to, in church, are you serving in church to honor God or to try to get people's approval in church? Singing a special, helping out in ch children's ministry or simple things like coming early, leaving late, uh, going Saturday door knocking. Do you have the right mindset or are you doing it to boost your pride? And, you know, if we're not weak, we're not broken. If we're not empty, if we're not at the place of extreme humility, how are we going to be used? Uh, how are we going to know the power of God working in our lives? God needs us to be broken for him to use us. And whenever you're going through, you know, we can be thankful for our trials and weaknesses because the power of Christ rests upon us. You can trust God for your trouble and your problems, and you can find strength, strength in trusting in God's grace. So tonight I ask you, what, in er what areas of your life are you too strong in? What areas in your life uh, need to be made weak so that God can make you strong? I don't know about you, but I need God's grace every day. And I, I hope you guys make the decision today, you know, to be thankful for the trials that God's given you not only to re be thankful for it and to realize uh, your weaknesses, but to trust God in his grace to get you through it. Well, I'm really thankful for this opportunity, again, to uh, bring the word of God. And uh, I don't take it lightly, just as Josh said. Uh, if you all could turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to stand uh, we're going to look at the first 13 verses. I know it's a longer passage, but uh, hopefully I can, I'm, I'm going to try and keep it short. First uh, Samuel chapter 7, 1 through 13, I'm going to read it real quick. And the men of Kirjajiram came and brought up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirzadjerim, that the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Asheroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then children of Israel did put away Balaam and Asheroth, and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for, for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. 
And the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to the battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with the great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pr- pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Now, a couple of months ago, uh, there was a huge ice storm in Oklahoma City. And if you know Oklahoma City, or if you've been there, you'd know the roads are absolutely terrible. And that they do not have anything set up against ice or, or snow. So, the roads were absolutely terrible. But, for some reason, uh, me and my buddy, we thought it would be a, a great I- idea to take our cars out. And we both have manual transmissions, so we thought it would be fun, I guess. And to keep the short, story short, uh, that morning ended with me shattering my clutch. <laughs> and uh, there, was, there was a lot of things going through my mind at that point. I, I was like... Uh, what am I going to do? My dad's going to kill me. Uh, I can't take you to a shop because it's going to be too expensive for a college student. My dad's going to kill me. Uh, I can't fix it on campus because I don't have the tools or the shop. My dad's going to kill me. But then I remembered that I had a buddy who, who was pretty good with cars, and he had a shop and the tools to do it. So I, ha- I ended up calling him. And within a week or two, we got it fixed and running. But I had to accept the fact that no matter how much I know about cars or, or how much I, I, I think of myself like that, I had to accept the fact that I didn't have the means to fix my car myself. I had to reach out to somebody else who had the ability and knowledge to do it. And that's what I had to realize. So when we come to this book right here, and when we, when we look at the, the chapters, we see that the Israelites had to come to that realization that they couldn't do everything in their own strength either. You know, my last sermon I preached from 1 Samuel chapter 4, and, and we know how that ended with the Philistines coming against and, and waging war against Israel and them beating Israel twice and losing thousands of men and the ark of God being taken and Hophni and Phinehas dying on the battlefield, and later Eli dying. And it, it's just a mess that Israel's in. And then we, when we look at chapters 5 and 6, we see that the ark is moved around by the Philistines, because every place it was put, God smote the people. They then put it in a cart and send, send it away, and it, and it reaches Bet Shemesh, and the people there were overjoyed to get the ark, but they looked into the ark. And therefore, God smote them as well. Now, after that incident, we reach where we are here. And the men of Kirjajiram are called to take the ark. And we see that they go respectfully to get the ark. And they sanctify Eliezer here. And this may have been because his father may have been older and needed to attend to the affairs of his family. So he was chosen. And his business was to keep the ark safe and secure away from the Philistines, but also 
from being looked into by the Israelites. And that's what happened in Beth Shemesh. He was to keep the room clean and decent in which the ark was. Now, there was a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of Eliezer. But then we, when we keep reading, in verse 2, we see that for 20 long years, the ark remained practically untouched. Now, 20 years went by, and the Israelites did not really realize why the ark was there. He had to take care of the ark for 20 years. Now, during these 20 years, we may wonder where Samuel was or, or what he was doing. And I believe he, he may very well have been preaching and teaching the Israelites to get right with God. And it seems to have worked because when we look at the verse, we see that one day they started lamenting for the Lord. Now, after all these years, they finally did something right. And we see what Samuel says after that verse, we see that if you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. We don't see Samuel till, till now. We see him in, in the start of chapter 4 and he wasn't consulted about what to do about the first battle and we don't see him till now, but, but we see that he's leading Israel to do something that, is, that they should have done a long time ago. You know, he calls them out on their sin. He tells them to put away their strange gods. And at this point, Israel was still living in, in sin. And they had plenty of opportunity to re repent, but they didn't. They kept on living their sinful lives with their strange gods. Now, if they had done what they did here in this chapter in the first place, they would have lost the ark. And Samuel called them to have an inward repentance, which caused them to show an outward repentance. Now Spurgeon said this, a worse enemy than the Philistines held sway over the land. The people were thus in double bondage. The heavy yoke of the Philistines was upon them because the heavier burden of a false worship crushed out their life of their hearts. Now, Israel had to put away Baal and Ashtaroth from their lives. These were pagan gods that they had picked up from the world. And that was the first thing that needed to go. These so-called gods that the world were worshipping were, were immoral themselves, let, on, let alone the people that worshipped them. Now, what happened in the temples of, of Baal and Ashtaroth, I don't even want to mention. It, it was so wicked and sinful. And that is who Israel worshipped, the children of God. They had gone so, so low in their life that they had accepted that these were the gods that they were to worship. There were some idols in their life that needed to go. And that was the reason they couldn't focus on God. But in the following verses, we see the response that Israel has. And Israel listened to Samuel. This is something we don't see often. For the first time, they're, they're listening to the man of God. And Samuel tells them to gather at Mizpah, a place which is known for repentance taking place. And we do see a true repentance in the lives of the Israelites. It wasn't just something they wanted to show outwardly, like chapter 4. Th this was true repentance in their life. We see them fasting and, and praying to the Lord to deliver them. And, and when we see that they pour water out 
it was a ceremonial pouring showing that them pouring their souls out before the Lord. But we still see that the Philistines were around. You know, the Philistines thought that they could defeat Israel again and it would be much easier since they're all in the same place. And they thought that rightfully so because we know what happened in the previous chapters. They, they didn't beat Israel once. They, they beat them twice. And they took the ark. And they may have remembered just how easily they defeated Israel last time. But this time there was a difference. No, this time God was with Israel. No, last time Israel missed a key factor to all their, miss, uh, their victories. If we read at the end of chapter 4, we see uh, something that's really sad. Now we see that Phineas's wife, she was giving birth to a child in the middle of all the turmoil that they were in. She had just heard that, that her husband was killed and that her father-in-law Eli had died and that the ark was taken. And she hears all of that and... And she names her son Ichabod because the glory is departed from Israel. That was the state they were in in chapter 4. They were in such a state where, where they were just, just like the world and worshiping like the world. And, and they had faced so much loss that the glory of God wasn't even there anymore. But here in chapter 7, praise the Lord, they got it right. You know, as Philist the Philistines drew closer... Samuel offered a burnt offering to the Lord and cried unto him. And we see what happens. The Lord smites the Philistines with a great thunder. And the Israelites claim their land back. And here Samuel sets a stone and calls it Ebenezer. Because hitherto hath the Lord helped us. But here's the question that we may ask is, how did Israel go from Ichabod in chapter 4 to Ebenezer in chapter 7? Now, it was because Israel came to a repentance and fixed their relationship with God. There was a true a repentance in the lives of the Israelites. And we see their, their attitude changing throughout this chapter. In verse 8, we see them pleading to Samuel to not stop crying to the Lord because he will save them. You know, a couple of verses ago, we saw that they were still living in idolatry and had multiple gods... But now they realized there was only one. In chapter 4, they relied on the ark and its powers to save them. But here they realize that it's only through God they can succeed. You know, through the leadership of Samuel, the Israelites were able to see where they needed to change. Israel's main problem was that they had accepted the ways of the world and had multiple gods in their lives. They didn't see the importance of only serving one God. And that's what led to their defeat the first time. You know, like I said in my story, I had to come to a point of realization and acceptance that in my own power, I could not fix my car. I needed somebody else with the knowledge and capability to help me. Here, Israel had to come to the full realization that if they wanted to continue seeing victory in their life, they had to go to God and not rely in their own power. Israel had to accept that they needed to give up the Baal and Asheroth in their life in order to fully surrender to God. 
You know, sometimes we have so much confidence in the outward things that we fail miserably. The Israelites had great confidence on the ark in chapter 4, but it only led them to defeat. Now, if we don't purge our heart of sin and come before God like they did here, then we haven't even realized the first part of repentance. Now, without mending our relationship with God, we cannot defeat anything in our life. Israel spent their time serving other gods, but they didn't serve the one true God. Church, can I ask you this? Who are you serving tonight? Now, do you have idols in your life that need to be thrown away? If you truly want to serve God, if you truly want a state of revival in your heart, then there may be some things that need to be put away from your life. No, the same idols that are out there that the world serves can be in this building as well. No, hidden by church attendance and, and the singing of hymns. Do you have any idols in your life that may be taking you away from God? An idol is anything that you have to check with before doing the will of God. Now, are you focused so much on your phone or, or on, on that TV show or scrolling through social media for hours? Teenagers, are you focused on your phone that, and you're wasting time that you're not doing the will of God? Now, it could be anything that is an idol in your life. It could even be work. You know, getting those extra hours for work for the money may even mean that you miss a Wednesday night service, but, I mean, it's only here or there. You may even say that I, I can't really make it to door knocking on Saturday because I just got to get those few extra hours at work. Friend, if that is what's keeping you from fully surrendering to God, then you may have to take care of that idol in your life. It may even be friends who are holding you down and keeping you from serving God to your fullest ability. Friends who are leading you to listen to the world's way of living or the world's thinking and, and, and the world's music and the world's idols and and those idols that the world serves are slowly entering churches today and if that's what's happening then then you may have to think about reconsidering being friends with them they may need to be removed from your life and it could even be pride that you have in your life or, or anger or bitterness it could be anything anything could be an idol in your life now i just want to ask you do you have a Baal or an Asherah in your life. No, you cannot live your life just like the world doing whatever they do and then rely on your church attendance to help you during the trials of life. You need something greater than God. You need God in your life. Do you have anything that is keeping you from fully surrendering and relying on God solely? No, Israel had many flaws in their life, but, but in chapter 7 we see the true power of repentance. They had to give up their false gods and their idols to solely focus on the one true God. And you and I may be living a life filled with sin inwardly, but, but outwardly we're fine. We just need to get rid of whatever may be in our lives that are keeping us from fully surrendering and serving God. And you need to get rid of those idols in your life. I just want to tell you, church, tonight that if you want to move forward in your life to fully serving God and fully surrendering to His will in your life, 
then those idols, that, that Baal and that Asherah that you may have in your life need to be given up. We need to get rid of anything that may put us in a place of Ichabod, but rather get right with God so that we will be in a place of Ebenezer. Lord, I just want to thank you for everything that you've done, Lord, in our lives. Just thank you for your mercy and your kindness, Lord, and the grace that you've shown. Lord, I just want to pray that you may help us individually to come to the realization that in order to grow closer to you, Lord, we have to get rid of some idols that we may have in our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray that you may help us to purge our hearts, Lord, and, and come to that realization even tonight, Lord. And I pray for anyone that may respond, Lord, and I pray that your mercy may be upon us, Lord, and that you may guide us through the rest of the week, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.